you know, farmers are the like the the true like caretakers, right, of the earth. So the more people that we can, you know, essentially like almost like convert into a farmer, right, with that mindset, we will, you know, we're going to solve a lot of problems. Ah, uh, Jacob Pechenik, you are one incredibly talented and smart individual. Welcome back, my legends, to the Ethic Table podcast, a show where we truly help you unlock your own human performance. Now, we do that by getting legends from around the world to kind of talk about their journey, success, maybe their businesses, maybe their dealings along the way. And that includes intelligent, very smart, forward-thinking individuals like Jacob that we have on today. Now, Jacob built an awesome company called Let Us Grow, which we're going to learn more about. But along the way, he built other businesses to help truly understand where he got to today. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear his journey and uh, what mistakes and learnings he had to help get him to where he is at this point in time, which is a truly forward-thinking position. Now, I'm stoked that uh, you know we always get asked and requests and one of the requests was, can I get that plant-based butterscotch sauce recipe? And you will, Maria, if you go to danchurchill.com and click get the guide because you will then sign up automatically to the newsletter, which is the epic news. And in the epic news, we have a highlight story of the week along with what's sizzling and we give away some performance, uh, you know, respectively most recent articles around performance and how we can improve such. So maybe diet, nutrition, um, performance, cardiovascular fitness, and even what's going on with our mates in the news. So if you sign up for that newsletter, so go to danchurchill.com, get the guide, you will then get sent the butterscotch recipe next week. And that's along with all you legends who saw that butterscotch recipe on my Insta story. So go check that one out, team. Massive shout out to a couple of our legends this week. Noah Olsen making it back to the games in the ninth year in a row. Nick Bear doing a sub at 250 actually a 248 marathon in New York, Buffalo. Love your work, bro. Honestly, incredible. Um, one topic we talk about this week in the Epic News is the topic around protein, particularly complete versus incomplete. If you want to learn and dive deeper into what the differences between the two are and why one is not better than the other, then you can, again, get that in the newsletter by going to uh, danchurch.com, getting the guide, and you'll be getting sent that newsletter update as well. But it's, it's honestly, you know, things like this with the research behind it that get me really excited to help you guys uncover and understand how our body moves, how our body shakes, and helps us to make the right decisions, particularly around our food choices as well. And so when it comes to food choices, there's nothing better than if you're looking to get to the source, which is a farm, instead of having to go all the way to the farm, which probably and realistically is quite a further you know, distance away, sometimes thousands of miles between where you get your produce from, from where it's traveled from originally at its own respective farm, it's much better than getting that actual farm into your home and that's what lettuce grow is all about this is an incredible story about what lettuce grow does and having jacob on today and defying the i guess not the impossible but a challenge that we're all facing and helping people truly understand where their food comes from you know using much less water to grow these leafy greens and our herbs and also doing with a lot less power it's a pretty impacting um, you know, impactful very much for the planet and in for ourselves and our education. So uh, one day we'll be seeing people understand what vegetables are. Um, we're all striving to do that. So you know I'm passionate about it, but you know someone who's really passionate about it just as much is Jacob. So welcome to the Epic Tale podcast, Jacob Pechenik. Jacob, my man, welcome to the Epic Tale podcast. Thank you for having me. So you're calling in from Austin, uh, a place that has become a mecca for, I just, I don't know, the past three years has been ridiculous. A lot of my mates have moved there, people in the podcast space, people in industries that are truly impact-driven like yourself. Um, but Matt, how long, have you, how long have you been in Austin for? Actually, I'm in Los Angeles now. Oh, and what? I was, in, I was in Austin for about five years and then oh. uh, full-time moved to LA. I, I mean- LA's, LA to me, I've, I've admittedly, 
I've, I've always had this thing where I didn't think I could move there. And then I like kind of discovered this little bubble that is Venice or Manhattan beach. And it reminded me a lot of the Northern beaches of uh, Sydney where I'm from. So I can understand how it's uh, a much more environmentally friendly place for people to live, particularly growing up with kids and that area of their life. So um, not that I'm keen to move there yet, but I can see why it can be appealing for someone uh, and even for yourself, mate. But um, mate, you're, you're, you have an amazing story, like just even personally. Before we talk about let us grow, uh, and I was saying in the intro, like I, I've I've been connected to you by a number of people. Most recently and notably is probably Robbie Ballinger. Um, he speaks extremely highly of you. He used to work with you. He used to, as you said, visit a bar that he worked at in Austin. Just for my listeners, just to recap, Robbie's the legend that is part of Ten Thousand that ran. Uh, against the Tesla. Um, so he's obviously more than just that running legend. He's also just an incredible human. But uh, Robbie called me yesterday and was like, dude, you're, you're you're speaking to Jacob tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, man. I got him on the podcast. He's like, oh, what a guy. <laughs> what a guy. And it was so funny because I've already done my, uh, already obviously been, you know, doing my research for the team of I've been doing our research the last couple of weeks. And <laughs> When he calls me the day before, I'm just like, oh, that's everything that just makes sense. So, man, I'm stoked to have you on today. Um, but I'm really, I really want to start the first question is like, where do you actually, where did you go to school? Like, what was your tertiary education? Because I, I hear you're incredibly smart. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and thanks to Robbie. He's an amazing, amazing guy. He maybe talked me up more than he should have. <laughs> But that that guy's a machine. He's, he's, he's a weapon. He's incredible. Yeah, I went to school at MIT. Awesome. Um, in uh, in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts, and my degree was in chemical engineering and economics. So and so you. I, didn't really... I was just going to say. So you've done chemical engineering, and then you've done everything. Like you've been a producer for some amazing amazing you know things we'll see on the screens <laughs> and then also you've got this probably now which is more apparent is the, the, the this business I'm sure where the uh, application of engineering would go but um, far out man it's 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 crazy how it's crazy how this is all coming together in a way even just from the start <laughs> it is crazy it's been a wild ride I had no idea of uh, of any of this you know, back then, you know, when I went to school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew, you know, everyone was going to college and you just, that was something that you did to check the box. And, um, I just, I figured, you know what, I'll just prove myself. And I asked, what's the hardest major? And someone said chemical engineering. So I said, okay. <laughs> and that began, you know, that began everything, but I'd say that you know, I never, I never worked as a chemical engineer. And right now, most of my time is probably spent showing how maybe you don't need chemical engineering, you know, in your life. But, but the chemical engineering did teach me how to solve very complex problems and to see things that have a lot of chaos and to figure out how to, you know, attack those problems and to simplify them. And I think that's probably been like a common through line in everything I've done. So yeah, so just to back it up a second, and I love how you finished that little note, but you decided to go to MIT and find out what the hardest major was, and that was your decision in what course you were going to go with. Yeah, that was 17 or 18-year-old me. So that's not... <laughs> not the way I think right now so, <laughs> but that that was my mindset back then do you like looking back on that is there any part of that challenged mindset that you see today in the work that you're doing with with let us grow is there any part of that uh of that the you draw upon that you use for today because that's that's a pretty incredible I'd like I, you say that was you back then but I, I want to kind of like, I want to kind of look inside this a bit because I feel like that would not easily just remove yourself from uh, the type of 
dedicated, driven person that you are. And obviously, you've built a very successful business. Not only that, but you've got, um, you know, features across respective, um, you know, credits in in the producing space to show that you <laughs> you you do you do like to challenge yourself a bit. You know. Yeah. Well, I I think I've been through this cycle. You know, and it does always start with probably that, like that 17 or 18 year old kid within me mm. that's somewhat naive and innocent and um, without really preconceived notions about any particular, you know, industry. And that's, I think, allowed me to see things with more of a beginner's mindset into question conventional wisdom. And, you know, I, the first, uh, you know, after MIT, the first business I had, I was 25 and, um, I was reasonably successful at that. And that gave me optimism, you know, and confidence and allowed me to, you know, to be in this position over and over again, where I know nothing in a new industry, but feeling confident enough to problem solve and to go after it. You know, it's really, you know, I, I kept seeing problems out there and it was more of like, well, who's going to deal with this problem? You know, it, it's, you know, it's right there. And uh, I realized no one was going to deal with the problem unless I deal with the problem. And that's, uh, that was really, you know, my driver for most of my career. Yeah, it seems that way in terms of the success you've laid for, particularly now with the impact impact you're having. And, you know, curious is when you were going through MIT, and I know that a lot of people say, particularly with a school like that, that you're actually thinking of the business you want to start whilst you're studying. And I know you say 25 was when you were first part of a, you know, well, it could have been a little bit earlier, but did you did you realize that, you know, when you're going through school, were there these problems that you want to solve even while still in, in university? No, I don't think so. You know, I think I almost feel like in our system, you go to school too soon, you know, mm. before you actually understand the world that much. Um, but I was, uh, I did start trading stocks when I was 14 um, in high school. And this was like in the 80s, you know, so before internet and all that. And um, I was trading uh, while I was going to school. And That's incredible. I had this like little radio kind of thing with a really long antenna that got stock quotes. And I would take that to my classes with me. And I was very focused <laughs> on that. And so that was kind of like my side project, or maybe that was my main project and MIT was my side project. So <laughs> when I, when I left school, it was when uh, I decided I wanted to trade full time. So um, I think I was just very focused on being done with school and uh, getting on with the rest of my life. And so. Uh, yeah, mate, just at the age you were saying you are starting at, did you get, were you influenced by, you know, your parents, someone else part of your family or friendship network? Or were you just someone who was like, oh, this, this trading thing again is, is, seems interesting. It's different. Like what instigated that, that initial startup of that? Yeah. I mean, what instigated it was, uh, I guess you could say inside information it's in the school cafeteria. So it's just one of my classmates said, Oh, my dad said this, you know, company's going to have good earnings. And I was like, what is that? You know, and then it started, started looking. And then I called my, my dad and I was like, dad, can you put my savings into this company? And he did. And I, I watched the stock, you know, I called the, the actual company uh, like five times a day to ask him what the stock price was. And I saw it go up and I got really interested in learning more. And so obviously your bank account's increasing and I'm assuming you want to double down more. And you now, you know, years later, you're in MIT. And as you said, you probably had that as a side project, even though it was the hardest major. And 
you can say this with just absolute honesty. I wouldn't say confidence or arrogance in any way. Like, like did you do well in MIT? Yeah, I had a perfect uh, GPA. And did you like? Did you find that relatively easy, or was it like? Did you start like? If you like, for example, I had to study so hard to get a decent grade um, for my high school degree, than to get into the university grade I wanted. Like, I, I I can't just be naturally smart like that. Um, I commend those who can. Do you find yourself? Do you find yourself being able to pick things up very easily? I mean, trading is not exactly to everybody easy. <laughs> but going to MIT and doing the hardest degree is definitely not easy either. Yeah. I think if I'm interested in it, then it's easy. If I'm not, <laughs> then it's, you know, the worst possible thing ever. And, okay. So and if you're going to start a business, if you're starting a business and you're really interested in it, just give me a call because I'll make sure <laughs> that I'm around to be involved in some capacity. It sounds like it's going to be somewhat successful. Um, yeah. Okay, so you're trading, you finish you finish your university. Um, I'm assuming you got, uh, if not the best score, top top you know percentile within your form or your class. Um, and did you go, you said it was, uh, did you, you went straight into trading. Did you go work for a big company? No, I just started my own trading company. <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome it's incredibly awesome it was and awesome what was that until i lost until i lost all my money so it would have been what, what year was that loses lose somebody else's money yeah true what year was that that was 95 96 okay. something like that yeah sure okay and throughout this whole ordeal you know you're probably what 24 23 yeah, no, at the time when I lost everything, I was about 24. So putting yourself in that mindset then, what were you, what was going through your head? Did you feel like you were a failure? Did you feel um, you feel like it was – like I'm assuming it was a different feeling because you were so used to, as you said, putting your mind to something that you liked and being successful. Yeah. At first it was like disbelief. It was almost like – I was in one universe and then all of a sudden, you know, I switched over to another one mm. and I was in, it was almost like, God, that's still, that universe is still occurring, you know, where I hadn't lost all my money. I was like, how do I get back over there? Yeah. Um, but I had to like, you know, I had to get out of my house that I was living in and move to these like really sketchy apartments where, you know, I had a dog and, some guy at the new apartment kept telling me that my dog was his dog. And it was just, I remember, you know, eating just like, you know, just, you know, it was like 99 cent meals and really yep. just work my way back. Um, but I was committed to it. I was just like, I'm going to work better. I'm going to work harder. And um, I kept, you know, I actually borrowed some money to start, you know, trading, uh, you know, to get back. And that took a couple of years, but, you know, I added several zeros to it. And, you know, at the same time, I had to go get a job, which was the first job I really had. And, um, you know, in that job, I, uh, you know, I learned software development. And uh, that was that was really helpful, you know, for me for the, you know, for the rest of my career. Yeah, it's huge, especially like as the internet really was taken off in that, that time and then, yeah, you're getting into a whole new online presence, the dot-com boom, everything, right? Yeah, that was uh, before the dot-com um, boom because that was like, you know, mid to late 90s. Huge. Yeah. Um, but then I, you know, I started then my first real company, you know, not counting the trading business in, uh, 97. And, uh, that was really using the internet to help really to trade, not stocks and options, but to trade like industrial equipment and products. It was really more like building like a B2B marketplace, um, using the internet. And, uh, you know, at the time, I don't think really anyone really knew much about the internet and about the power there. And, you know, when I, I, 
showcase my ideas, you know, to uh, like some, uh, you know, venture capitalists at the time, they were like, wow, this guy went to MIT, probably knows, you know, knows all this stuff, which I didn't. Um, but they threw, you know, some money at us. And, you know, before I knew it, I had, you know, 100 employees and, and we were really making a big go at it. That's awesome, mate. That's, uh, is that, that was, is that Tech Trader? Is that what that was? Yeah, that was Tech Trader. Yeah, cool. That's awesome, man. And so you're obviously developing this understanding of building a massive team because how, when you were working for yourself and had your own trading company, was it still just you or did you have employees as well? It was just me. <laughs> well, that's a good, that's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> good. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. And then like, I've always found trading interesting for a number of different reasons, but particularly I'm assuming around that time in, in tech, uh, you know, I feel that was still pretty early on for that, that game and tell me if I'm wrong, but um, I, I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm thinking about just the amount of learning, not only yourself, but your team is doing in the industry. It's growing. Um, that would have been incredibly exciting. So what, what happened to finish up there? Uh, like after, after a few years time and start, was it um, from memory? Was it yellow Jack? Was that what that was the next yellow, yellow jacket? Jack, yeah. 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 So yellow jackets, probably the company, you know, the past company that I'm the most proud of sure. um, and was really, you know, excited, very excited to work on. Um, that was, we started that as a weather derivatives, uh, trading platform. Mm -hmm. So to help, to help really get, a um, uh, the whole weather derivatives market going. And, um, it's not an insurance product when I say weather derivatives, it's really, um, weather derivatives, like a hedge on different aspect of the weather. So, um, let's say you're an energy company and you go into the winter, um, you might be worried that it's not going to be cold and you're not going to be selling enough power so you can buy heat. You basically buy temperature. And if the, uh, let's say, the average temperature ends up being, you know, 50 degrees um, in a particular month, you would get paid you know, let's say so many million dollars per degree. And while you're losing money in your core business. So it's kind of like an offset. And uh, anyway, we helped put, you know, counterparties together that, you know, had differing, you know, the opposite weather risk. And we did over a trillion dollars of notional trading volume over the platform. Um, in weather derivatives. And then we, we rolled it out to um, the whole energy market. So it would be for crude oil, natural gas, you know, 50 different other markets. And uh, when, I, when I first came out with the concept and showed it to people, they just thought I was absolutely insane. They thought, like, this is just crazy. Um, I mean, some people thought weather, the weather derivatives was crazy, but also the, the way that we, we built it was crazy. But by the time, you know, I sold the company and left, we had, I think, like 98% market share, you know, in the US for, you know, energy derivatives trading. And I think probably like 60 or 70% worldwide. So I just want to kind of, use this initial discussion we've had so far to really outline how incredibly brilliant you are <laughs> because I think that's what I was trying to establish, you know, is to understand a little bit about your thought process, you know, how you, how you developed and continue to develop and the businesses that you're a part of. But as, as I'm doing this, I'm just like, this is so good for everyone just to kind of like take this moment in time and be like, Jacob's really smart. He's also incredibly talented in an area where I know nothing about. So when you're talking about your friends and you know, you know people and associates in the space, thinking that you're you're crazy, 
I'm looking to like, you know, 20 years later and I, I think you're incredibly, I don't think you're crazy. I think you're incredibly brilliant, but I can see why it's crazy because I still don't completely understand (laughs) this as a business, but I'm not, I don't have to. All I know is that you've taken an idea and you've utilized a lot of probably what you were learning in a space. Um, And then also at the time, the software development area, that was pretty cool. And that's obviously played a part here. And you've come up with 98% of, uh, of market share down to the point of what you initially said is you want to solve problems. And I think this business did just that. So, you know, it's kudos to you, mate, but uh, this is exactly going back to what I said earlier that uh, someone said you're incredibly smart and I'll absolutely give them a thumbs up emoji um, in a grants. So, so here we have this, you've sold this company uh, that's done incredibly well. But then you decide to shift gears and go into a space that's, I mean, tell me if it's, you can tell me if it's not, but in film, uh, do you find there's any parallels at this current juncture to your life that had any similarities between the businesses that you had been a part of to what you were going into? Yeah, it was a crazy shift um, and it happened overnight. And the crazy thing was that I didn't need, I probably watched about four movies a year my entire life because I was always busy trading and, you know, doing all this other stuff. And, um, but I think the reason why Yellow Jacket was so successful was that I really spent a lot of time with our customers, with the traders. I had a lot of empathy and really understood their their workflows. I sat with them at their desks and I, you know, the way they used to do, let's say trade took 10 clicks of the mouse and I had to do it, you know, in eight clicks or seven clicks, you know, it couldn't be 11 and just really understanding that. And one day I was invited to go to a film screening and I saw Um, I thought it was a pretty good film. And then the director and the producers were coming out and asking questions like, did you relate to the, the main characters? Did you know what was going on? Do you have any questions? And at that moment, I realized like filmmaking is just like writing good software. (laughs) It's a, it's just more fun. Um, (laughs) You just have to really connect with your audience, right? You have to connect with the user. And I think that's when I approached film was in a different way than most people approach film. Cause I think a lot of people do, they say, God, here's this work of art. I really want to make, and I want to put out into the world. Um, where for me, I was thinking, I want to open people's minds. I want to, you know, have them venture forth into, you know, new thought processes and using film as a form you know, to do that, um, was really effective, you know, as long as you're connecting, you know, with your user. So I pretty much went cold Turkey, stopped software and went into film, went went into film finance and production. Cause everyone just does that. You know, everyone just stops there. It's like me becoming a chef and then all of a sudden it's actually, I think I'm closer to doing what you did than you were at the time to doing what you did because I guess the chef world's kind of creative, right? Whereas <laughs> like, mm-hmm. well, that is very creative, but yours and then the TV world can be in your, I, I don't know, maybe the production side raising me to capital. I mean, I'm trying, I'm trying to make this work because I'm just like, how the hell did you do, <laughs> you know, but you've got, you've got some pretty amazing films, you know, like 30, if I'm not, mistaken or at least 30 um, from what I remember in the research. Um, like I think you, you've got ones with like Kevin Costner, Octavia Spencer in there too with uh, I think it was black or white was one of them. Like you've got some incredible films, mate. Like you've done, I like, I think actually when I first, this is, this is how much you've done in film before I even found out about your software um, and your early trading career, I learned more about you in production above all, even beyond Let Us Grow. So I think <laughs> maybe it's the fact that media That's supports Google. media. 
Yeah, if you Google me, I mean, all you see is the film stuff. It's erased my, you know, my whole history before that. <laughs> so if you wanted people not to know about your incredible talents and MIT goodness, you've absolutely executed on that. So, but um, this podcast, this, uh, this replaces Google for anyone who wants to do real research. There you go. There you go. This is the real, that's what this is. This is the real Jacob Pacheni. This is, this is exactly what this podcast is all about. So as if you're, if you're jumping on here and you've, you know, you've known Jacob or you followed Jacob for some time, you didn't know about all this goodness, (laughs) this excitement, his development. So you did, you did production for many years, mate. Like I think it was over five or six, and yeah, I think five years. Wow! What was it? Just out of curiosity, what was your most proudest moment in 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 the film space? Leaving the film space. <laughs> <laughs> what was it, I mate? Was it? That. I, yeah, be honest. Crazy. I mean, there's so much ego. You know, it was mm. like tough. I, I was anxious to leave Wall Street um, because of all like the type A personalities sure. and just, you know, a lot of abrasiveness and just, I wanted a like softer, you know, and, um, but, you know, in film, I, I met a an, an handful of people who will be my like most dear friends, you know, mm. for the rest of my life. But I've met two handfuls of people who I never want to, you know, come across, you know, ever again. There's just, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of shenanigans in that industry. And, uh, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was happy to get out. Maybe that's cause I did, you know, 30 some movies in five years. I had my fill of it. Yeah. So that's a, that's a lot of movies to do in a short amount yeah. of time. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. But I think this is where a, a full new chapter gets really exciting for me, um, for you, because I feel we've established your incredible talents and smartness, your ability to be diverse and apply skills in a new industry, pretty much problem solving. But now you're moving towards a space where impact and problem solving um, you're not you're not solving a problem that's around entertainment you're solving a problem that is for the earth and I think that's that's pretty cool like to take your talents and use it for good is is always you know what we should be striving for um, but you know you've you've got this incredible concept to come out of everything you've been doing so i I like i'm going to fast forward to the the farm project this is what i'm talking about so it's said to be a mission to reconnect people with their food and i think that is a incredible statement no notably it's very close to my heart um growing up where you know, unfortunately, like particularly in even a young educational stage, kids know more about Ronald McDonald than they do about, you know, notable people or ingredients that, um, you know, are real ingredients. Like you put a hamburger in front of a, a young um, individual and they'll know what that is. If you full of, uh, you know, show them a full cos lettuce or, um, you know, simple just romaine, there's been studies to show that they're less inclined to know what the latter is and they know more than likely what the former is. So this is really cool. This is, and I'm not going to lie, Jacob, I'll be completely honest. I spent most of my research on this part of your life onwards. Not that I was not interested in how you got here. I was just saying this, this to me is just like, it's very close to my heart from here on. So talk well, to me where the farm project, sorry, say again. This is the best part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not that not the pre twenty seventeen you weren't awesome. I'm just saying you got even more awesome from twenty seventeen onwards. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so talk to me about the farm project, mate, and how that came about. Yeah, well, um, I'm a dad. You know, I've got two little ones. One's five and six, and it was really when uh, uh, I learned I was going to be a dad 
that was about, you know, so seven years ago or so, um, I started looking at the food that we were eating and I just saw, you know, chemicals in so much of it and really wanted to opt out. You know, one, I didn't know what any of the chemicals were. I did call my buddies at MIT and ones that had already had kids and I'd ask them, hey, do you know what these things are? Do you know what a GMO is? And I could tell you, not a single person that I asked of all my friend group, educated friend group, knew what a GMO was. It's like, well, who does know what it is? And who is, you know, making, you know, these decisions for us that they're okay? And I'm not saying that they're good or they're bad. I'm just saying, like, we're so disconnected. You know, we, we've, we've really, you know, sort of given up our agency, you know, on, you know, what's good in the food system. Um, and at the same time, the foods that don't have these new technologies in them, right, just food as nature intended it, was so expensive and inaccessible and out of reach to most people. And I thought, you know, really hard about it. I ended up actually running a farm, starting a farm in Austin and uh, running that with um, with two individuals that, you know, they actually knew all about farming and they, they taught me and I taught them about, you know, the business and, and ran it. But I learned a tremendous amount about the system. And, you know, there's just so many problems, right? And it's depressing to enumerate them and I won't. Um, but it's again, one of these like complex, like chemical engineering problems that seem just very chaotic. It seems overwhelming. How are we going to do something? And I, that's what I, I came to this realization that the reason why, you know, the reason, the way that we can fix this is by getting consumers re-engaged and reconnected. I think we just over outsourced you know, at first it was convenience, you know, but we over outsourced to these big companies and the companies, you know, they have, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to maximize profits. I mean, that's how it works. And they're not thinking about, you know, they don't get bonus points for if our food is healthier or if the environment's better off or not. And consumers us consumers are just letting it happen so for me it was like the solution to all of this is re-engaging the consumer and once the consumer feels empowered to have an opinion you know to have a voice and start speaking with their voice then within five or ten years the entire food landscape will change you know, we've seen it happen in other industries and it needs to happen here. And so that's really where the farm project and then let us grow, which was our first like initiative under that came from was engaging consumers to build the new food system. Yeah. So that's what I was going to uh, really keen to hear more about is how did you first come up with the idea to empower, to engage and to give consumers the feeling that they had that power to to vote, uh, you know, for the for the goodness of the the planet in the right direction. Yeah, well, I remember like the on the farm, you know, it's when we had our first harvest. We were walking with my my partners and I were walking around the fields, and we pulled out, um, you know, the, the first turnips out of the ground, and I just they were dirty you know. I wiped them off on my jeans. There was still dirt on it. And I took a bite and it was like the best, it wasn't just like the best tasting, you know, food I put in my mouth, but it was just this magical experience. Um, I just felt connected, you know, to the earth and was like, God, if I could just give everyone this one experience, then, you know, we'd all wake up you know, and we, we, you know, we'd, um, the world would be different. You know, farmers are the, like the, the true, like caretakers, right. Of the earth. 
and so the more people that we can you know essentially like almost like convert into a farmer right with that mindset we will you know we're going to solve a lot of problems um and so it was that feeling which is was was really profound and that's why i was really focused like how can i give this feeling to everyone and was that just a case of you know how do i get this natural tasting goodness in someone's mouth or was it like like what was the thought process because you know for me and the products that we built um like our chorizo and bolognese at the end of the day i want people to eat more plants you know, that's that's what I'm tr- striving for. I want people to find an easy way to do that and be inspired to do so. But in order for that to happen and to be repeat customers, I know the flavor's got to be the bomb, right? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, like if I'm if I'm pitching myself with you at that moment, you tasted that deliciousness. Like I can I can I can understand the feeling and the you know absolute uh, emotive appeal and drawn to of wanting to also um, act like you you wanted to. But it takes people to taste, I feel, in order to um, want to continue to do that. Because it's an, an, like, you know, tell me otherwise, but being an open discussion, but I feel that flavor is a bigger motivator at this point in time than impact. And that sucks to say, but simply put people want to do impact but they're going to be leading to do that if they like the products or like the ingredient i i completely agree with that and again right we remember like our focus is on changing the consumer right and consumers right care it's like better faster cheaper Mm. or they're thinking when it comes to food it's like taste you know and cost um so yeah, the impact or secondary, uh, secondary to them. But I think the one thing that we need to, that I would put in to the taste and cost is experience. And that's what we see with let us grow, you know? And so if I fast forward, it's like, I was trying, you know, I was trying to get people onto the farm to experience it. And even though the farm was only 15 minutes away from downtown Austin, it was a challenge getting people there. But once people got there, they would stay for two hours and they'd come back on the weekend volunteering and they'd, they'd get hooked and they'd, they just love that experience. Um, and so let us grow. The idea is, okay, it's hard to get people to the farm, especially in LA, right? Because the farm's like three hours away. But we can bring the farm to the people and we can put a farm in your patio or in your kitchen or, you know, anywhere, uh, anywhere you have a two by two, you know, you know, two foot by two foot, you know, piece of space. And we have, you know, people are always thinking ahead. They're always thinking, um, do I have a green thumb? Is this going to work? Um, Am I, how much yield am I going to get? What's the taste going to be like? Then after someone starts growing with us, the number one, you know, thing that keeps them happy is the experience. It's the pride of growing their own food. It's knowing where their food came from. It's sharing that with their kids. It's the meditative, you know, aspects of it. And I would say that that even trumps taste, you know, and that's that reconnection, right? It's like being reconnected to nature. It's almost, you know, like having a puppy, you know, it's like there's this other life force there that brings so much, you know, richness to life. And that's something I think we're mostly missing. And when I see kids interact with our farm stands or any garden i'm so convinced it's in our dna to grow we're wired to do it you know it's so natural i mean we've been growing for hundreds of thousands of years up until like a hundred years ago so Mm -hmm. um and then that's essentially been taken away from us and so bringing it back is kind of like bringing back a lost 
you know, part of ourselves. And uh, I think that that's something that's hard for someone, you know, to, um, to read on an ad or, you know, to get until they're on the other side. But um, it's the biggest, it's the biggest driver and it's the biggest driver of like how quickly lettuce grow is spreading. Yeah. Like the, uh, yeah, I, I love the fact that you definitely kind of put experience or that feeling of experience above flavor only because it challenges my personal thinking. Yeah. Um, in, in the sense that I've always just been so fixated on like, let's make sure people eat, enjoy, Whereas I guess if you take it to the next stage of like the experience of, you know, in your case, the growth, the almost like this feeling of you, even if you're doing it with you and your family, that feeling of connection to creation of a leafy you know, or a herb or something is just like, it's, it's the same likening that I had to the art of, um, I guess the feeling of making pasta and gnocchi growing up was the feeling that made me fall in love with cooking because it was this connection I had to being working with my hands and being creative in that regard. Like I've always been fascinated by that. And even as, even, even as you talk through that, it was exactly what my, my mind was drawn to is I've never really thought about the feeling above the flavor. Um, but now that I think about it, I can understand that connection because it, 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 it kind of, clicked for me when you said it so it's it's pretty powerful um just even on a personal note so i guess when you had this farm and people came there and you saw the success if they did come you wanted to make it even easier by making a farm be taken to them (laughs) and that's why lettuce grow was born now this this is um, the, in, that was correct, right? That, that you just again yeah. solving another I mean, problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean there were some other things. I also noticed, you know, more than noticed, but you know, saw these problems on the farm. You know, where we we grew everything; uh, it was all organic, um, zero waste. Um, we were trying to grow, you know, as organic, you know, as efficiently as possible, and. We grew a beautiful head of lettuce, tasted great. It was like art uh, looking at it. But to get it to the store was a whole nother thing. You know, you'd have to put it in a plastic clamshell and put it in a box, put it in a refrigerated truck that would take, you know, go to a distribution center and then on another truck to a grocery store. And the product that we, that would leave the farm was not the same product that a consumer would get in a grocery store and you know the grocery what the stuff that's in the grocery store could be seven to ten days old and quite a bit more um it takes you know on average the average piece of produce is like 1500 it travels 1500 to 2000 miles yeah and i've since learned that a lot of the nutritional value degrades you know, within hours of harvesting. So we're not, you know, the customers aren't eating the same product that we grew. And the whole system is about, you know, 40 to 50% of waste because of the way it's designed. You know, we're, we're putting, you know, we're essentially putting like organic lettuce fresh lettuce on a system that's designed to distribute Doritos. And I realized like, this is just crazy, you know, and this is probably one of the, probably people listening now will think I'm crazy, but I think it is crazy to go to a grocery store to buy quote unquote fresh food because it's (laughs) not fresh. And that's why we go to the grocery store twice a week was to get fresh food, but none of it is fresh. And, and you have all this waste because of it. And so the idea of let us grow was not only, well, it involves that, that consumer experience, but was how do we rethink the way we distribute perishable fresh food and how can we do it without killing the plant first? So the whole idea of lettuce grow is 
let's just grow baby plants at the farm, send the baby plants in a much smaller size to the end consumers that will finish growing them on site until they're ready to be eaten. And by doing that, we can totally eliminate all that waste and we can also eliminate like 98% of the water use, all the chemicals, so much of the emissions and, you know, a ton of, you know, a ton of uh, excess. And, um, you know, the consumer then gets the taste, right? Gets a wonderfully tasting product, fully nutritious, um, and they have the experience of growing it, you know, to go. And when I started, when I started the, the company, people did think I was crazy, but you know, now we have the equivalent. If you take all of our customers and all of the like capacity of, of their little farms that they have from what we call our farm stand, we have the equivalent of, of over 1.6 million square foot of farmland you know, across all of our customers' houses. So when does that put you in the spectrum of farming, a farming company? Like uh, wh- wh- how much market big. share? I don't know. You know, I, I've been starting, I was, I wanted to go and look at that, but I haven't done it yet. But That's a great bit of publicity. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're, I'm going to go for, you know, 100 million square feet or a billion Atta square boy. feet. So, you know, then I'll, then we'll, then we'll pound it. Well, I just want to, um, so I, I, there's a number of things you talked about there, a number of, you know, things that you're solving. I just want to create some context. So, um, let us grow has created these products that are effectively a farm stand where you can build and create your own, well, you build them and you can grow your own awesome leafy, uh, or herby goodness. Right. So, you know, you've tackled a couple of things there. You talked about, you know, a thousand miles plus of the average you know, distance, um, foods, you know, uh, distributed. So along that you got with the fact that number one, nutritional value definitely decreases unless it's snap frozen, which is very hard to do with, uh, <laughs> leafy greens, um, which can be done, but you know, that's another story that the nutritional value does degrade over time. Next to that, you've got the supply chain issues associated with the emissions so right now we've got a lot of supply chain issues it's driving costs up so the cost associated with that in itself um, is significant and then when you continue down this road and you look at the emissions associated with it that in itself is ridiculous so that's just one thing there is a massive thing you're selling now these products the seedlings weigh a lot less, which means the costs associated with them on the planet and on the individual because of the weight uh, are much cheaper, much better for you. So I also think that's incredibly smart. Um, But the biggest thing that I love is not only do they make an incredible, incredible piece of art in your kitchen, living room, wherever you place them because everyone loves green and white. I find that's a very fresh, beautiful, healthy looking (laughs) piece of artwork to have. But it it is, as you said earlier, it is a connection between an individual, whether it be um, a young growing family or just, you know, a bachelor, bachelorette, whoever it be, with themselves to where food is grown. And you can do it yourself. Um, and I, I just love that. I think that's really incredibly smart that going back to the very first thing you said about solving problems, you're solving a bunch of problems here using 95%, I believe, less water, the energy you're saving. Um, it's an, a very effective, it's a very effective device that I'm excited to continue to see what you know, future products you guys bring out. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious to hear the, the even the makeup of the product itself. I'm, I'm sure the development of the engineering and like that side of it, there's, there's notably some challenges that must have come along the way. I mean, what was it like? Actually, what was it like pre-COVID? Um, yeah, pre, well, we didn't have that much time, you know, pre-COVID uh, marketing the product because we launched in May 2019. And okay. so we were, and we were mostly uh, highlighting the product at farmer's markets. 
and then you know everything got shut down right and was it march of of 20 Mm. and so we couldn't do the farmers markets anymore so that was real challenging and it forced us to go you know fully digital and then it, it actually worked very well for us um but the product is again so experiential it's really helpful to see it you know first so we're pretty excited now that things are things are opening up that we are you know now um, you know, looking at retail locations for our product and, you know, places so that more people can see it, you know, before, before purchasing. But, um, I heard a question there in the sort of like the design and let's say when we, you know, set out to do this, um, you know, the very first prototype I kind of came up with was really, you know, efficient, uh, very easy, you know, to put together, to ship. Um, and I had an engineering company kind of make it for me and I went and saw it and it was like so ugly. And uh, <laughs> that was another real connection for me, a reminder, you know, back to the roots of the consumer, right? But it was like, we are not going to change the hearts and minds of people with this unit. It has to be beautiful. And not only did it have to be beautiful, but the materials used had to be the best in that, um, you know, I didn't in, in, in touring like potential factories that would make that for us. I saw so much plastic everywhere. I especially saw a lot of like plastic, like PVC fence post. And I was like, where is all of this stuff going to go? You know, and I, I was just committed that we weren't going to create something that was going to end up in a landfill and create more waste. So that's where the commitment, you know, came to um, using ocean bound plastic. And essentially everything that we do is, is fully recyclable and recycled. Um, and we also, you know, all the, all the material we use is California prop 65 compliance so that there's no chemicals. There's nothing that's known to leach out that could be, um, harmful. And we just really, I just didn't want to solve, you know, one set of problems and create another set. So really it's kind of part of the whole company's DNA is to do everything, you know, it's just do everything the best way, you know, even if it's going to take a lot longer and be a lot harder to do. And, um, so the engineering and the design was such a key, you know, to that and making the product again, beautiful, very easy to assemble, very easy, you know, to use, like make it so that it requires less than five minutes a week of work, you know, for our customers. That's awesome. I'm, uh, I want, I'm, you know, you know what side I'm going to get down now is the nutritional value side. Have you, have you done nutritional comparisons between your leafy goodnesses and maybe one on a conventional farm? You know, I get the question a lot and I, I would suggest looking at, you know, studies because, uh, you know, cause I'll get the question, the, the question I normally get is like hydroponics, you yeah. know, versus soil-based growing, right? And there's a lot of benefits of hydroponics in that you can give the plants exactly what they need. So you can create, you know, very, very healthy plants. Um, but soil, you know, based growing is the OG way. And it's like, uh, if you can do it, do it. You know, it's just, it's a lot more labor, a lot more time, a lot more cost, a lot more utensils, you know, a lot more back pain. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you can do it, you can do it. But the, the single like biggest determinant in the quality of the, of the product is the time since the harvest. So if you're doing soil-based gardening or growing, and then it takes you, you know, three days to get the product and eat it versus you're doing hydroponic in your kitchen and you take a bite out of it two minutes later. 
you're always going to get a better nutritional profile with the hydroponic. It's just crazy to think of some of the extra added values of just walking a couple of meters and picking leafy goodness off your farm stand <laughs> that just was grown. Um, going back to this, there's a number of stu- studies we'll highlight in the show notes re- you know, regarding soil versus hydroponics. And I think the, there's here's, here's something to note to cover both bases. Yes, soil health, uh, soil specifically is the OG way of growing anything, right? This new new way of growing is not in the capacity to actually have any harmful effects uh, that I've seen, and if anyone has seen any form of studies that will um, on, on humans that will prove to me anything of this nature, I'd love to see them, and, and I'll be open to obviously uh, anyone sending that through to me. But to this date, um, other than the fact that we're using not soil, there's another major difference in um, the value provided from. Uh, you know, soil versus hydroponics. I love soil. I love everything about it. I love the bacteria, that the good, good, you know, health it does in our gut, all those kind of things. But as we continue to evolve as individuals and the population continues to grow, we look, have to continue to look at ways that will provide um, to the entire population high quality nutritional foods. And unfortunately, we do not have enough landmass that's going to allow to one uh, allow the soil to regenerate and allow it to have rest at a rate that will also um, get its nutritional value back up to what is required. So, to put this into perspective for our listeners, just like us, soil also needs rest and recovery. And unfortunately, as we go through cycles of farming, um, there's pressure on the farmers and their land to continue to drop seeds um, and actually not have a full. Imagine like having land and not using it for a full season, um, which you know is very easy to think about from a health perspective, a long-term perspective. But in, under the pressures of current farming environments, there's obviously the need to constantly use their land to get some profits. So using is hydroponic means to support um, those areas as well by not having as much added pressure on. I, I see as an added benefit to the planet, to supporting um, regeneration of the soil in itself because we're taking, we're finding ways to grow it elsewhere, um, which hopefully in turn will not only remove emissions but support other ways to develop even more nutrient-dense soil as it continues to recover. Imagine just constantly working 24-7 throughout a year, mate. It just sounds too intense for me, especially the farmers who actually then have to actually work that soil, as you said. Yeah. No, I mean, it's everything you say is so, is so spot on with, with the soil. And my, my goal uh, with Lettuce Grow is that, you know, I, we hope that people will grow 10 to 20% of their food at home. But what they will create is a bigger appreciation for the 80% of food that they're not growing at home. And they're going to feel empowered to ask questions. You know, they're like, I grew this head of lettuce with no, you know, pesticides. Where does, where did, you know, where does this lettuce come from at the grocery store? And if they start asking questions, the answers are always going to favor right? The organic farmers, the regenerative farmers, right? And I think more than anything, we're, you know, hoping to create demand and economic support for all of these initiatives, these regenerative initiatives, because there is a lot of work to do to, you know, correct from, you know, the way we've, we've, we've done things in the past. But again, we need the consumers to support that. So, that's where I think, you know, the, the role of giving, you know, giving consumers direct exposure so that they feel qualified, right, to have, you know, to have their opinions and to, and to, and to be asking the right questions and telling their grocery stores and telling their restaurants where to purchase their foods from. Education, connection, feel, all that kind of stuff. It's all that's happening, mate. So what's I'm, – I'm curious, like are you in a cycle right now where lettuce grow is is going to be your main point of direction for the foreseeable future? Because 
I'm just looking at timeline here. Most of your businesses and your organizations have been a part of it, generally like a four to five-year cycle. So <laughs> what's the trajectory? I'm I'm fully in Let Us Grow. It's, Let's go. Uh, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know how many years, but I, I, I think it's um, – I could see it as a lifetime thing. Oh, that's and, awesome. And uh, I definitely don't have the energy to start another business. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, at 1.6 going to 100 – what was it? 100 square meters of farming? Is that – what was it? 100 mil- – um, 100 yeah, we're at like 1.6 million square feet, and yeah. uh, I think yeah, we're I guess targeting 100 million or more. So we'll see. Look forward to that, mate. And what else we got going on the pipeline with the product itself? You've got any new features coming out? Anything else? Uh, I, know, I know you guys obviously have an app that's associated with it. That you've got a five and minute and under <laughs> application about how helping people understand earning five minutes a week to help grow their seedlings. Um, but what else you got going on with the product itself? Yeah. Well, also within that is really, you know, cause I started the, the business not to help people grow their own food, but it was really mm-hmm. to have access to, well, one, the experience, but also the nutrition. And so it's really helping people learn what to do with Swiss chard you know, or, or, you know, just other, other, uh, produce. I, I recently learned that something like 95% of our diet comes from 13 different food items, you know, which is crazy. Um, but we grow like over 200 different varieties of product. 10 X and that 20 X and that. Yeah. And so we want to, we need to educate people, right? Because, more and more people are like adopting this lifestyle, but they still need help. So I see it as like an on an easy on ramp to having access to the right food, but also giving more help on recipes and tricks and, you know, different things to, you know, to make the food taste good to your five-year-old kids. That's it. (laughs) That's honestly it. Well, my friend, um, I'm, I'm stoked we had this connection today. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to put into words your intelligence, but I think it speaks for itself going from, you know, trading software, trade tech, um, to, you know, producing to now this amazing company and impact driven, um, product and brand, you, you've definitely done a lot, um, uh, and you will continue to do so. So I'm excited to, I'm excited to be on the sidelines, obviously be eating my leafy goodness from lettuce grow. And uh, yeah, mate, I'm blown away by this. So where's the best way for people to get in contact with you um, if they choose to do so? Yeah, well, you can definitely check out lettuce grow at lettucegrow.com and that's spelled as a head of lettuce. Um, (laughs) And uh, you can email me at Jacob at lettuce grow if you want to get in touch with me. If you want to learn how to... uh pick the most challenging MIT course <laughs> you, can, you can hit up Jacob. Or if you just decide to do 30 films in five years or if you want to join the team of an epic growing. Oh, the fact you can use growing, by the way, in so many ways in your business is is pretty exciting. I love that kind of stuff. But anyway, Jacob, my man, thank you so much for joining us today on the Epic Table. Uh, continue to be epic as you are and you know excited to to cheer you on but i appreciate your time mate and yeah more fun times ahead